Dear family members and friends of First Lutheran Church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, born again to us this day, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Scene number one. Ruth, she'd known a lot of death in her life, but never enough to cause her to fall flat on her face. She'd always been able to keep her chin up, even though for some strange reason, she'd never been able to find out what this reason was in herself. Recall from last week's reading from chapter 1, as we began our series on the book of Ruth, how Ruth married into an immigrant family from Israel. The father's name was Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, along with their two sons. And even though the people of Moab were despised as incestuous relatives, that is to say, half-breeds, this Israelite family had moved to Moab because a terrible famine had struck their country of Israel. Elimelech and Naomi and their two young sons had come from a little town called Bethlehem, which in the Hebrew language means house of bread. And how ironic, for there was no place for them in the house of bread. Now Ruth had grown up with many gods in her culture, especially Kamosh, which means the destroyer. But through Naomi's family, Ruth had come to learn of the god named Shaddai, El Shaddai, God Almighty, whom they believed to be the one true God, the God above all other gods, a God of grace and mercy, who promised by the witness of their forebears, Abraham and Sarah, to always be with them. Not God the destroyer, but God the protector, the one of promise, the one who would be with them always. But oh, this God's name was soon to be sorely tried. Almighty? For with only within the first year of her marriage, Ruth's father-in-law, Elimelech, dropped over dead, just like that. No reason for it. And then within just a few short weeks, Ruth's husband and his brother both dropped dead, just like that. No reason. Then again for Ruth, Kamosh seemed like a wimp compared to this El Shaddai seeming God of death. Ruth had come to dearly love Naomi. In fact, Naomi's name means my sweetness. But after the dark pall of death had left this little family utterly empty, including the barren state of her daughters-in-law, unable to have children, Naomi became very bitter 
in fact, changing her name to Mara. She must have been thinking to herself, is God Almighty punishing us for leaving this promised land of Israel, moving into Moab? Well, it would seem that all earthly evidence would seem to point to yes. Or maybe El Shaddai had just abandoned them when they'd left the city limits of Bethlehem. You know, like the other local gods of Moab, who only traveled as far as human imagination would allow. But then Naomi got word that the famine had left the land of Israel, and so decided now after 10 years, with nothing to lose, to move back home to Bethlehem. She told her two daughters-in-law to return to their homes as well and marry some nice Moabite boys. But Ruth was not going to abandon Naomi. In fact, she was going to stick with her, for better or worse, in sickness and in health. Now, if there's any passage that you've ever heard from the book of Ruth, it is the following. It's one that you've probably heard at a wedding. It's from chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And Ruth now says to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do to me and more also if death parts us. Scene two. After a long trek, Ruth finds herself now with Naomi back in Bethlehem. And now it's Ruth who has left everything behind, everything she's ever known. Just imagine that. If you were to move from Sioux Falls to some distant state, some distant country, leaving your family, leaving your home, leaving everything behind that gives you a sense of foundation and meaning. They'd moved now back to Naomi's old place in Bethlehem that had been sitting empty for now some ten years covered now with a dusting of death and doubt. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And so here's Ruth with a mother-in-law who does nothing but mope around the house who is embittered. And if anyone did stop by the house with a hot dish, well, Naomi talked as if Ruth wasn't even there. Ruth had never felt so alone. Ruth had known a lot of death in her life, but never enough to cause her to fall flat on her face. But she'd had about enough of nothing. No food, no help, no family. She, now the foreigner, the immigrant, the widow, a woman in no man's land, say nothing of it being godless. 
And so Ruth stepped outside into the open air from their little house, feeling so much death yet surrounded by life as she watched the reapers tending their ripe fields of barley by day. There she stood alone. But then the owner of the field arrived, his name Boaz, which in the Hebrew language can be translated as manly man or someone well-to-do or well-respected in the community. He greeted the field hands as though he was in the middle of a church service, not a barley field. As you probably heard Dr. Ahmed read, he says, the Lord be with you. And the folk in the field were as though they were all members of First Lutheran Church as they responded, and also with you, right out of the liturgy. And so, Boaz shed God's word of grace that came from outside of herself. She began to understand where this reason for ability to persevere, even in the face of death, was coming from when she heard this word finding her in verse 8. Now listen, says Boaz, you, my daughter, he calls her, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my maidservants. I'll protect you and provide whatever food and drink you need. And then this bold, always chin-up lady who'd known so much death in her life is enfolded with a word of life, the bread of life, given a future of hope, and then what happens to her at this point in the story? With this blessing, she falls flat on her face in thanksgiving. For the amazing gravity of God's grace is finally revealed to her through Boaz. And then she turned to look up and Ruth could see now these shepherds tending their flocks on the surrounding hillside. After a couple of moments brushing the dust from her mouth, Ruth stood up and asked Boaz, Why have I found favor in your eyes, I, this foreigner, this widow, this... And Boaz says in verse 11, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has fully been told to me. How you left everything in order to cling and care for Naomi. The Lord bless you. The Lord bless you, Ruth, for whatever you've done. Yes, the Lord of Israel, God Almighty, under whose wing you have now come to find refuge. In her poem that is based on the book of Ruth, Maureen Duffy writes, it's entitled, Mother and Little Girl. Listen for Ruth's voice here. Whither thou goest, she said, thinking, God's, but that's a hellhole dry as desert, a no man's land. But here would be an aloneness too stark to suffer alone unless I am with you. So she added, thy people will be my people. Meaning, take me into your family and your God shall become my God. Now what? was he called? 
And so she is found. Then the poet goes to conclude this beautiful story. Listen, Ruth said to Boaz, your kinsman widow Naomi, she's been like a second mother to me. I couldn't just walk out and leave her all alone. And Boaz, looking at her rich pastures, said, Fine, bring the old lady with you if you want. And Ruth said, I do. I do. And so it is as we are coming into chapter 3 and 4, we learn of Ruth and Boaz also saying, I do, at their wedding. And they have a son whose name is Obed. And Obed has a son whose name is Jesse. And Jesse has a son whose name is David. David, who becomes the most famous of Israel's kings, whose lineage would stretch the heavens wide with good news nearly a millennium later, once more in that little town of Bethlehem. Act 3. Sometimes, as in this story of Ruth, God seems to be, for us, sometimes so very far away, nay, absent. And yet, especially in such times, how important, how vital it is that we listen to God's voice as we think about Matthew chapter 25. As you do it to the least of these, my children, you do it unto me, says Jesus. To share God's word of grace, to be there for others, in the valley of the shadow, with friendship and loving kindness. For such a wondrous gift is given, solidarity to know we're not alone. This last Wednesday, I was visiting folk at Sanford Hospital. One man sitting in his room alone next to the window, just looking down at the floor, pulling at his pajamas, Hi, Jack, I said. How are you feeling today? Jack's response, I'm lost. I don't know where I am. And I said, Jack, it's okay because we're together. We're together. And he looked up and he smiled and said, I know where I am now. I'm with you. Presence. God's greatest gift to us in Christ, Emmanuel. And our greatest gift that God shares through our presence with others. In Jesus' name. I'd have you think about people in your life when you go to visit someone who's ill in the hospital or hospice, for example, and you ask that family member how this patient is doing, this beloved member, and you ask, how is dad doing today? And that person will respond by saying, we're having kind of a tough day. How is grandma doing today? Well, we're kind of struggling. That pronoun, that sense of we, 
makes all the difference in the world. And in that region, there were shepherds out in the field surrounding Bethlehem, keeping watch over their field by night. And on God's spirited wing, an angel appeared to them, saying, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that has come to all people. For to you is born this day in the city of Naomi, and Ruth, and Boaz, and their great-grandson, King David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And now something of a brief postscript. My friends, remember again this very day that God's blessing has become flesh and dwells among us still, not only under the wings of angels, but enfolded, clung to by the arms of him who was hung out in a field of death upon a cross one who has wed our sin to himself and our lives to his. Your people shall be my people, and even where you die, I will die. But that's not all. That's not the last word. But it's one of a resurrection in his life for all people, a newness, a promise. Do you take this motley crew to be your people, asks God. And Christ the bridegroom says, I do. I do. Thanks be to God. Amen.